The nation of Afghanistan was in the headlines of the media last year with the withdrawal of American troops from the region as the United States' 20-year involvement in the country came to a close as the Taliban swept into Kabul. However, the aftermath of this conflict remains potentially much more dangerous to the people of Afghanistan as a developing humanitarian crisis grips the nation. Financial aid might not be forthcoming due to the current policies of the Taliban government, and the people of Afghanistan stand on the precipice of economic collapse. So the question remains, how did we get here, and what remains ahead in this ongoing crisis? From Seton Hall University at the School of Diplomacy and International Relations, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Drew Starbuck. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the domestic situation in Afghanistan today is Maryam Ali. Hi, Maryam. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. And focusing on the international reactions to the developing crisis is Abby Noss. Hi, Abby. Hello, how's it going? It's going well. So let's get right into it, guys. First of all, if I want to try and gauge a general background on the crisis in Afghanistan, but also the history leading up to this crisis as well. So first, I'll direct this question to both of you is, who are the Taliban as a group and what is their history in Afghanistan as a whole? So the Taliban has been characterized as an Islamist fundamentalist group and a brief history of their ruling in Afghanistan is they had ruled in Afghanistan from 1996 until the U.S. had led an invasion in 2001. They regrouped in Pakistan's border and then later overthrew the U.S. built government in Kabul by quickly seizing major Afghani cities in 2020 when the peace agreement was made. Okay. And... Also, what is kind of like the background of U.S. involvement in Afghanistan? I'll direct this question to you, Abby. As was just mentioned, in 2001, the U.S. had gone in on the fight against terrorism, and their goal was to simply uh, find al-Qaeda and find Osama bin Laden. And then as they were spending time there, they had decided to help develop the country, and then that's why they stayed there much longer. Okay. And so the end of the war in Afghanistan, the U.S. withdrawal, has kind of affected this humanitarian crisis. So... How has the U.S. withdrawal precipitated this crisis in some ways, Mariam? So the U.S. withdrawal has definitely taken away a lot of the aid that was there previously. So it's estimated that the U.S. had spent like $2 trillion just in Afghanistan in the 20 years it's taken leadership. So when Biden took the initiative to end America's leading role in Afghanistan, he just believed that this war would just keep going on and that the Taliban and the United States would constantly be in conflict. And it's really important to note that the Taliban like no longer has a less significant role in Afghanistan because if America was to have relations with Afghanistan or conflict with Afghanistan or the Taliban, it would no longer be low cost or low risk. So it's been taking a lot of human costs from Afghani people and the United States people as well. Okay. I also want to focus in specifically on the Taliban as well. We talked about, you talked about the human cost, Maryam. What have been some of the failures of the Taliban government recently that has won this massive victory for them in driving the United States forces out of the region or precipitating their withdrawal, but now are struggling as uh, this crisis grips their country? 
Uh, Miriam, do you want to take that question? Yes. So the Taliban has definitely failed in focusing on its citizens or the nationals of Afghanistan. They focused more on securitizing the government itself. They wanted to make sure that the government didn't have any influences from outside and that they were completely strategic in the way that they overthrew the U.S.-led government. So instead of having notions to help their own people, they have instead put in sanctions to stop international aid just for securitization. So that's one of the ways they failed. Okay, I see. Is there also any resistance remaining to the Taliban government or has, there, has the resistance kind of collapsed after the withdrawal of American troops? So we know that there has still been resistance even though America has withdrawn from Afghanistan because Many Pashtun and rural Afghans used to sympathize with the Taliban because they disliked public institutions. But after America had um, tried to implement a Western-like democracy, they, uh, when the Taliban retook Afghanistan, they tried to form their own resistance group. One of them was called the National Resistance Front, which formed and failed to protect one province in the mountain area. But they're regrouping now to try and fight for freedom or protest the ruling put in by the Taliban government. So there's still some resistance remaining within the country as well. So moving on from just this background that we've established now, looking at the economic repercussions of the humanitarian crisis, you mentioned in part, Abby, earlier the nation building that the United States has done in the region. In what way has the United States contributed or tried to impact or help the ongoing crisis in Afghanistan? One way the U.S. has impacted the crisis that is happening in Afghanistan is the U.S. has put sanctions on the flow of their money and they are withholding a bunch of it from the Taliban, even though they are said to be the acting government right now. And the reason why they're doing that is the Taliban is still seen as a terrorist organization through the U.S., so they're not willing to release the sanctions directly to the Taliban. And that's one of the reasons why. I see. And so the U.S. is unwilling to a certain extent to give international aid to Afghanistan as long as the Taliban are in power because they do not want to legitimize their activities, if I'm correct in that. They're willing to help the people, but they want to make sure that the money that they're donating will go to the people and help the humanitarian crisis, but they do not want it to go towards the Taliban. Okay, I get what you're saying on that. So we've talked about the unwillingness of the United States to give international aid to Afghanistan, but why is the Afghan economy currently in freefall, Miriam, and how has this crisis really affected the people of Afghanistan? So we know that the freefall for Afghanistan's economy has happened due to the sudden lack in foreign aid. About three-fourths of Afghanistan's government expenditure used to be assisted by foreign or international partners, such as the U.S., and now that that aid is gone under Taliban rule, a majority of Afghani people who are employed in public sector jobs, they haven't received an adequate salary or any salary at all. So that's one of the reasons why it's currently in freefall. I see. So the economy is, was externally reliant on international aid and this crisis and unwillingness by certain countries to engage in international aid has really sent the economy into a tailspin. One thing that was drawn attention to in the media last year with the withdrawal of American troops was the refugee crisis and many people seeking to flee Taliban rule. Has this in any way, Miriam, and you can hop in, Abby, if you want to, how has the refugee crisis affected the Afghan economy? So we know that a majority of the world's refugees right now are from Afghanistan, 
about 2.2 million Afghan refugees live in neighboring countries with 90% residing in Iran and Pakistan. And the UN High Commissioner for Refugees has said that we're now seeing a third generation of Afghani children born in exile. So we know that these people who were usually displaced within the country like itself have moved on um, to other nations for a like to seek for a better life because they're not getting any monetary income to support themselves or have any substantial living. I see. And just to go back to you, Abby, you mentioned earlier on like the international aid the United States is unwilling to give the international aid than nation building in Afghanistan itself before it was taken over by the Taliban was reliant on international aid. In your opinion, do you think the Afghan economy can survive on its own without international aid? I don't I think it would be very difficult for them to be able to survive without it, considering the crisis that they're going through. The locals there themselves don't have the opportunity to support the economy because they don't have jobs to get into it. So since they don't have source from their, from within, they will need the source from without to help get their economy growing again. I see. And you might have mentioned something about this earlier, Miriam, but I think it's also an important point. A question I want to ask is, you mentioned the refugee crisis and the economic crisis, but what about the healthcare system within Afghanistan? You mentioned maybe doctors working without pay to a certain extent. Is there any more information you can give on that? So we know that Afghanistan has had like six back-to-back epidemics, including like polio, measles, and COVID-19. And there were many negative effects on primary care due to a lack of outside funding. So there was negative effects on family planning, immunization programs, and nutrition services. However, the most notable negative effect was on the country's larger hospitals that dealt with trauma care, surgery, and any type of secondary care. And since we know that a lot of the funding was provided by the World Bank, USAID, and many other NGOs, when these funds were cut off on clinics, we know that the people themselves don't have the ability to function the facilities as doctors or even receive health care as citizens. I see, and that just paints kind of another stark picture of the, we've kind of looked at how Afghanistan as a whole was reliant on international aid to be able to carry out many of its services, and now that that international aid is not so forthcoming, we're starting to see a decline of these systems and a collapse. So looking towards the financial aid aspect of it, let's move on to like the United Nations and international perspectives on the crisis. So. What actions has the United Nations taken to avoid the crisis? The United Nations has been able to set in as many people as possible to supply food, and they have also donated money to them as well to put through the economy to try and support the locals there. And they have been able to get assistance from WFP and other organizations as well to go in and help as much as possible with the locals. This is just more a question directed towards you, Miriam, but how has the Taliban government being in power affected nation's willingness to send aid to Afghanistan? And you can also hop in as well, Abby. So there has been a big shift of power onto the Taliban, obviously, as, they, as they've taken over the government. But U.S. officials have still urged the United States and other nations to continue or increase their aid. 
Um, however, a deterrent of the nation intervention is the human rights abuses. We know the human rights abuses to be the public execution of dozens of people, a increase in threats against journalists and activists, a decline in girls attending school, and a tightening of restrictions on women. So we know that the nations believe that there's like a positive correlation between them overturning the sanctions to help Afghani citizens and also the increasing of human rights abuses by the Taliban. I, I see. We've painted kind of a more starker picture of the ongoing international perspective on this crisis, but has there been any positive developments in the country with like the advancement of more international aid coming in, Abby? Yes, there has been. There has recently been a meeting where the EU, US, Britain, and France, Italy, and Norway that has attended, and their goal for that three-day meeting was to pressure the U.S. to no longer have sanctions on the funds that are being held and release them because the people there believe that they have suffered enough and they should simply go and do what they need to in order to get their economy flowing again. So there is pressure on the U.S. to s release the money. I see. Do you have anything to add on to that? Any more positive developments, Mariam? There are a bunch of positive developments domestically. So we know that more than 9 million people have received food assistance. We know that water trucks reached more than 200,000 people in drought-affected regions. More than 276,000 children were treated for malnutrition. And finally, 1.6 million people received medical support with medicine and other supplies coming in from the World Health Organization. So there has been at least some positive developments along with, even with many countries willing to not give financial aid to a certain extent for fear of legitimizing or just sending money to the Taliban government. So you mentioned, highlighted this earlier, Miriam, and I think it's an important point. How does like the role of human rights, the human rights record of the Taliban government impact the giving of foreign aid by nations? So we know that right Right now, the UN has made a report that the Taliban has had sort of ties with like other Islamist terrorist groups. And even though the Taliban has said Afghanistan soil would not be used against the security of any other country, in quotes, there's still been other countries that have been too scared to kind of take the initiative to help Afghani citizens because of that whole idea that the Taliban is a terrorist group and because they now have control of Afghanistan, that Afghanistan is involved in terrorism itself. So I that's see. why they've made sanctions. I see. So to bring the focus back to the United Nations as well, Abby, you mentioned that economic sanctions. Can you give more details on why, how the UN can provide aid while avoiding like economic sanctions? Uh, it's definitely not an easy thing for the UN to be able to do, but if they are to place sanctions, they definitely want to focus it towards the Taliban to make sure that the terrorist group doesn't develop more, which is what most of the international community is afraid of. So with the sanctions that they place, it'll be definitely aimed towards the Taliban and they'll try to still be able to benefit the locals m more. I see. So let's just, after we've painted like an economic picture of the in an international picture, I want to talk about the also ongoing diplomatic efforts of the Taliban because they have intended their goal of they've established their state in Afghanistan, but also they want to be recognized amongst the international community. So, Abby, if you wanted to highlight any talks that the Taliban is having with, say, European nations or regional powers or international powers? Yes. With some international powers, Russia has refused to acknowledge the Taliban as well as the U.S., and that's something that is definitely preventing them from stopping. 
China is more of a promoter towards them, but China has also made it very clear that if they become a safe haven for terrorist groups, that they will no longer have their support. So they definitely have some supporters and some not. It's just people are just simply afraid of them becoming a sanction for terrorist groups. I see. And you mentioned, is there any like regional powers in the region without well, besides like the Chinese government? Pakistan as well, because China and Pakistan um, have a very close relation with mm -hmm. one another. Uh, so they're also has seen Taliban as the as the government, but just again, they're afraid of them becoming a terrorist group. And the Taliban also having connection with Pakistan previously, as in the wars going on to that. Looking back towards to the human rights aspect of the situation, Miriam, we talked about the effect that, that could, this could have on the population itself. Specifically, I want to ask you, what effect will this humanitarian crisis have on Afghan women? So we know that Afghan women have kind of gotten a shock through the new implementation of Islamic principles because there previously was the implementation of a Western-style democracy under the United States. So we know women right now are forced to have Islamic behavior because of the established rules, and then women are only permitted education in gender-segregated universities, as well as women are obligated to only wear Islamic attire. The only problem with gender-segregated universities is that there wasn't um, an implementation of gender-segregated universities before the Taliban had taken control. So these women who are going to college and not just primary school aren't really um, given the ability to go to college until there has been implementation of these type of universities. I see. So in, a, so in theory, the, the Taliban is allowing for equal education of both men and women, but they're by creating a segregation system. But in reality, the creation of the system for women to be able to pursue education is not forthcoming at all. I th Looking back towards the Taliban itself, uh, the reason the United States got into the war in the first place, understandably, was to prevent the Taliban from hosting Islamic fundamentalist terrorist groups in the region. The Taliban have stated that they're, as Miriam said before, that the soil of Afghanistan will not be used to attack another nation. However, there seems to be whether that policy is true or not is up for debate. Will their sponsorship of Islamic terrorist groups have an impact on the giving of international aid? Yes, it will definitely have an impact on international aid because they are saying that this is something that they will no longer do, but their actions are proven otherwise, which makes the international community trust them less because they're not cooperating the way that they are saying they're supposed to in order to get this aid. Okay. Do you have anything to add on to that, Miriam? I think she's pretty much gotten it. I think the only thing I would add on is that we know right now that about 200 to 500 Al-Qaeda fighters and leaders are suspected to be in, like, based in the regions along the Afghan and Pakistan borders. So even though we know that the Taliban has said that they won't use their soil to attack another nation, like, we're not seeing that in actions or in practice. So that could definitely stress the relationships between nations and whether, like, Afghanistan can receive international aid from countries like the U.S. Okay. So going back to you, Abby, on a question of how do you think the Taliban's ongoing diplomatic effort to gain recognition from the international community will affect the current crisis, or how does the current crisis affect their strategy to gain recognition? 
I think the Taliban's goal to gain recognition uh, is working because they are getting more recognition, but it is not in the way that will end up helping them in the future because they're they're just getting a lot of publicity because they're doing things that they said they weren't going to. So they are becoming recognized, but not in a healthy way for them to be able to promote healthy relationships with countries moving forward. Okay. Moving on to like after we've looked at the human rights aspect of the situation, I just want to try and get her around to some final thoughts between you guys, a few final questions. First of all, I wanted to ask you both, now that we've kind of had the background of this situation established, how do you believe this crisis will play out? I'll go to you first, Miriam, as the domestic analyst. So on a domestic point of view, I don't think the crisis will get better. There's been an estimation that almost every Afghani person will live in poverty by 2022 and it's already 2022, so there's not that much time for us to make a humanitarian change to help stop the crisis there. We also don't know um, whether the humanitarian crisis is dealt with properly because we know for the displaced people in Afghanistan, the UN has been taking initiatives to help them and to force money in, like past the sanctions the Taliban has put in place, but we still don't see anything for the refugees who have gone to other nations. And for the international community, there is a lot more pressure on the U.S. to release the funds into Afghanistan to help them. And majority of the international community does seem willing to help and to donate. It's more of the fact of whether the Taliban will continue acting as a terrorist group or not. So it all depends on how they decide to take their actions moving forward. But most likely they will be able to get more funds from the international aid, which will definitely benefit their economy, but going past that, it's still very uncertain. I see. So there's a lot of uncertainty in the situation. That kind of leads into my follow-up question of, with how uncertain the situation is, can we say that things will get worse before they get better, or will they gradually, things will gradually continually get worse before then? I think it will definitely get worse before it gets better, unfortunately, because as we've said, the Taliban is not proving things that they want to do through their actions, which is making the international community reluctant to provide more aid. And anything you want to add on to that, Miriam? On a domestic point of view, I think it will also get worse before it gets better because I feel like the Taliban has focused more on securitizing their hold of the government than they have on the humanitarian crisis that's happening within Afghanistan itself. So if they ever want to implement change for the better, they would have to let go of the sanctions that they put in place so that the UN can better distribute monetary funds. So it seems to me, just to sum up some of the thoughts that have been previ- that were previously established in this conversation, the Taliban would have to implement a change in policies that they are not taking the current path towards to ensure more international aid, or the international community, and by and large the United States, would have to reduce sanctions on the Taliban government to a certain extent. But neither side is moving towards that path, and so there's been a limit of the financial aid that the Afghanistan people can receive. Am I correct in that? Yes. 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 Okay. One final question I wanted to talk to you guys, because we're we're returning to the topic of Afghanistan when a lot of people thought that once the United States has left, there's a lot less headlines in the news about it. But however, before 2001, the Taliban was ruling in Afghanistan. So my question to you both is, and I'll go to you first, Abby, is the Taliban ruled in Afghanistan before 2001. Have they evolved or changed since then? 
Yes, they have, but not to an alarming extent. Uh, there have been some more lean way for women to be able to become educated and hold a job, but it does seem like that is slowly slipping away from them the longer that the Taliban is in power. So it seems like they are reverting back to what they were previously when they had ruled before. So currently they had they do have some changes, but it doesn't seem like they're going to last. I see. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Miriam? I think that we definitely see similarities in the way they regard women in society and how they're enforcing rules for a more Islamic identity. Um, however, we do see like a very big difference in how they've put sanctions because before they used to allow humanitarian intervention and now they're not even letting that in as well, which kind of just shows how even though they've evolved, it's been in a negative manner because they're so insecure in their government securitization that they feel like they have to take extreme measures. So in a way that the Taliban has changed, but not so much for the better in, a, in approving their governmental style for the Afghan people. So we've painted a very stark picture of the crisis that unfolded. We can only hope that things will get better in the future. Um, this has been a great discussion. Abby and Miriam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Joining me now to round out some other headlines this week is our news briefer, Soraya Kavili. Hi, Soraya. Oh, hello. Happy to have you on the show. So what headlines do you have for us this week? This week, 11 went missing on the island of Corfu. The U.S. is paving resumption for Mexico avocado exports, and there are several space programs celebrating a year at Mars. Those stories sound very interesting. Let's start with the incident in Corfu. On February 18th, a Grimaldi Lines-owned ferry boat engulfed into flames near the Greek island of Corfu. Italian Coast Guards and officials reported that approximately 290 people were on board and only 10 passengers were admitted to the hospital for minor injuries. However, it has been discovered that 11 people are missing and are yet to be found by the Greek rescue team. Very interesting news, Soraya. Now moving on to the next headline, what's going on with the avocado, avocado trade developments? The United States Department of Agriculture recently inspected areas in Michoacan, the only Mexican city certified to export avocados to the U.S. because it is pest-free. Last week, a temporary ban was placed on Michoacan due to suspicion of drug cartels. As a result, avocado pickers lost their jobs and were relying on donations from people passing by on the road. The U.S. has resumed avocado exportations with Mexico, ensured to choose measures focusing on health safety. A definite step forward in the economic relationship between Mexico and the U.S. for sure. And you mentioned some ongoing space exploration? Yes. A year ago, NASA launched its Perseverance rover on Mars. China and the United Arab Emirates are also successfully launched spacecrafts around the same time with guidance from engineers at the University of Colorado. Both countries' design structure and dedication has helped them widen and grow their reputation in space exploration. Thank you so much for coming on, Soraya. Thank you for having me. Now that is all the time we have for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew. Executive producer Jared Dang, associate producer Jasmine DeLeon and Hamza Khan, technical producer Andrew Rakulia, and of course your host, Drew Starbuck. The Global Current is brought to you by the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thank you. <laughs>